All righty. Well, let's open in a word of prayer and we will get in. Lord, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for the teachings in it. Pray, Lord, that we would accurately and rightfully speak your word this morning, be an encouragement, and give us the ability to share your gospel to our community. In your name, amen. How has everyone's week been? Good, good week. Same old, same old. Enjoying the fall weather today. I love fall. It is my favorite time of year. Anyways, so we we're going to backtrack just a little bit today from last week. Uh, we covered uh, one through eight last week, um, but I think would be good to it. Kind of all ties together in this section. So we're going to go through uh, one through verse fifteen today. And then uh, we have some uh, questions here at the bottom that I want us to uh, be able to answer through the book of Romans. So as we um, get towards the end, I'll I'll talk about that a little bit more. But verses 1 through 8, as we went over yesterday, primarily talk about we are not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Um, And so Paul here is going to lay out three different things that we are not saved by uh, in, in this section. So in the first thing that we are not saved by are our works. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to obtain uh, salvation. Okay? And your first blank there is a why, and you guys can probably fill this in yourselves. Why are we not saved by works? Why are we not saved by works? Yes. All right, so that no man can boast. All right, if we were saved upon our own merits, we would be boastful in the fact that we did it. Why? Are we saved by faith? Why are we saved by faith? Okay, it's a gift of God and to God's what? Glory. Okay, it's to His glory. And so the two go together. We are not saved by our works because then we would boast. And we are saved by His giving us faith so that we in turn glorify Him. And so that's what the section there in uh, 1 through 8 is driving home that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to uh, obtain salvation. All right, and so the next section, which we'll spend a little bit more time on, you need help, Joe? Roy, will you go back there and help her with her coffee? All right, so the next section we are... um, looking at is going to be verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. So if someone would like to read verses 9 through 12 
uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into what Paul is getting at here. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Okay, so are we following Paul's train of thought here? <laughs> There's a, a lot of being said there. Uh, so someone wanted to venture out and tell me what Paul is getting at here in verses 9 through 12. Right, okay, good. So circumcision. Good morning. Circumcision is a sign, okay, that was given. Now, he talks about he was, uh, there was, his faith was before. And so this is important for us as we understand chronologically, as we understand how to refute different ideas, and this is what we're going to talk about here for a minute. This idea of circumcision is a ritual, okay? And so it is something that Israel did as a sign. It was specific for them uh, uh, that God gave them. But what chapter in Genesis do we see... Um, Abraham being circumcised, do we know? Or do we know how old Abraham was when he was circumcised? Hmm? 99. Very good, Roy. Did you just know that? That's good. Oh, you actually, right now? Did you find it? Good. Okay. Okay, so he was 99 years of age, and... He circumcised, uh, he, he was circumcised and his household was circumcised. And there's someone mentioned in his household, which uh, was his firstborn son, which is who? Not Isaac, but Ishmael, okay? That was his firstborn son, uh, born to him by Ahagar. And when uh, he was 99, Ishmael was the age of 13, and Ishmael was circumcised as well. Why is this important to understand? Is because before, one chapter before, Abraham uh, had relationships with Hagar and she conceived Ishmael, he was counted for righteousness with his faith in chapter number 15. 
So in chapter number 15, he was probably between 85 and 86 years old. Uh, That is when the Scriptures say Abraham was saved or his faith was counted to him for righteousness, okay? And so 13 or 14 years later, after that, we see Abraham being circumcised. Why is this important to know? The circumcision had nothing to do with his salvation. He was saved 13 or 14 years before his circumcision. And that is what Paul is bringing out here, that the circumcision of the the, the uh, Jewish people, which they believed was uber important, and through the Old Testament it was, but it was a sign. It was never for salvation. Okay? So your first blank there is we are not saved by rituals. Okay? And your blank under that would be circumcision. What in our modern day do we see as a ritual that people often tie to you have to do this along with salvation to be saved? Baptism, okay? That's often a, a thing that's tied together. You must be baptized and saved. Uh, and your baptism is a part of our salvation. All right, and so it becomes ritualistic. And what is, can someone venture out and tell me the specific uh, idea behind circumcision, what the, the thought process was for it that we know? It identified them. Okay. Now, there's a lots on circumcision, especially when you get into the New Testament. Circumcised of what? The heart, okay, a cutting off of sin, uh, revealing that way. Uh, some of circumcision was also health-related uh, in the Old Testament, but it was a sign of the covenant that God had made to His people there of Israel, and it was a, it was just a sign. It was a picture of something to come. All right, and so what if you were to explain? Baptism, what, uh, what would we say the purpose for a baptism would be? You're okay. Baptism. Right. What is it, what is it picturing? What is, why do we get baptized? Okay. What's that? Right, so when you are baptized, you are baptized as a sign or a picture of what's gone on inside, okay? The same thing of, with circumcision is a picture of, of the covenant and, and God's people. Baptism is a picture or a sign, a symbol of what's gone on on the inside. It has nothing, there's no regenerative power in it. All right? If you, if you uh, get saved at 25 years old and you live till 75 and the Lord calls you home and you're never baptized, are you going to heaven? Absolutely. 
What could be said, though, is that you lived for 50-some years uh, in a, a rebellious-type state, okay? Because God commands us to be baptized, all right, as an obedience to him, um, but it's not going to be held against you to say, well, I'm not letting you into heaven, all right? You, you're just... Yeah, and, and, it could, and, and if it goes for 50 years, there's got to be some kind of rebellion in there or some kind of whatever. You know, if you get saved at 25 and you die at 26, you're just not, you, you, maybe you don't know um, about baptism or the church you're going to. Maybe you didn't explain it well enough. But if you're living for, for many years as a Christian without being baptized, uh, it would be uh, a sin in the sense that God commands us to be baptized as that outward sign of what's gone on inside, all right? But the key point here is that we are not saved by the rituals. We're not saved by uh, indulgence, as Catholic Church would, you know, as we, as we learned a few weeks ago, the Catholic Church had all kinds of rituals that they would make and set out before you that you had to do all of these rituals to obtain uh, a favor or salvation with God, and that would be against what Scripture would say because what Paul is nailing down for us and really making plainly clear is that we are saved by what? Faith alone. Through grace. Okay? Grace is that gift that is given to us, but we are saved by faith apart from the works, apart from rituals. And the third one here is in uh, 13 and 15. I got one more little thought here, just as a thought. Where in, where in the Old Testament or New Testament? we see that Ishmael was uh, saved? Do we see that? What do we know about Ishmael as he grows up? What was, what's known about him and his descendants, his offspring? They were an adversary of who? Israel. Okay? Ishmael was always an adversary of Israel. All right? And nowhere in Scripture do we see that he uh, ever had a moment of faith. Now, I can't say definitively that he was not saved because Scripture doesn't say one way or the other, but because um, of who he was and that he was always an adversary against Israel, the conclusion that could be brought is that he was not a believer. And why that would tie in is he was what? Circumcised with his father at 13. Did it save him? No. You still have to have saving faith. Can you be baptized? And this is where we are careful here at this church uh, as elders is when we talk to someone about being baptized, uh, we don't ever confirm their salvation by saying, yes, you're saved. Does that make sense? So if Katrina came up and said, hey, I, I, I desire to be baptized, and she came in and talked with the elders, and she said, you know, and we, we're going to ask her testimony, and she, you know, maybe isn't real clear on how she's saying it. We would never say, well, you're close enough. We believe you're saved. We don't want to ever confirm, because we don't know her heart, right? 
we're very careful. If they can give us a clear uh, uh, statement of, of faith and what they believe in as far as salvation goes, then we'll go ahead and baptize them based upon their statement. But we don't want to ever confirm if they seem confused and, and make them, because we baptize them, now they believe that they're saved, when maybe uh, they were confused or still uh, not quite understand. So we're very careful in baptism, but I know in my childhood and growing up that people were baptized all the time, and then many years later uh, came to a real understanding of the gospel and were baptized again. So the first baptism was they just got wet. Right? They took a swim with the pastor in the, in, in, the, in the pool. Okay? So, taking a swim with the pastor in the pool um, doesn't do anything for you other than get you wet. Okay? But when you truly have saving faith uh, and you get baptized, it reveals to the world what has gone on inside. Okay? So, uh, making sure that... And Paul here is painstakingly, again going point by point, making sure that we clearly understand that works has nothing to do with salvation. Here, rituals, things that we do, have nothing to do with salvation. And the third part here is in 13 through 15, and that deals with the law. Okay, somebody want to read verses 13 through 15. Okay. So, what is the purpose of the law? Is the, is the law's purpose ever to bring about regeneration or to bring about saving faith? Is that the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the law? Okay. So, your first blank there, obviously, is we are not saved by the law. The law does what? What do you think that blank there is? The law condemns us, condemns us, it does not save us, okay? The law is necessary in the fact that it does condemn us. We need the law. We've seen the law throughout uh, uh, Scripture here that no one is righteous and we all have fallen. We're fallen. When you look at the law, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a list of, of rules and guidelines that we need to follow to obtain salvation. And we have to follow them what? Perfectly from birth. From birth. Not from when you can talk or reason. All right? That is why it is impossible. If, if by chance God were to say, okay... As some religions that are around here close say, children are without fault till age eight. I'm not sure where they are in their home because I have an eight-year-old, and I know that 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 would not be the case. All right. So be, be uh, you know. But even if God were to say, this uh, this starts at age eight and goes on. So if anyone dies before age eight, they're good. 
because they're not held accountable. But from age eight, you're held accountable to the law and have to be perfect from then. It's still impossible to fully enact the, 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 the law. And so the law points out our need for Christ. That is your next point. The law points out our need for Christ, our need for a Savior. And so the law here, Paul is making sure that they understand you are not saved because it would nullify faith. It would nullify grace. It would nullify the need for Christ to come and sacrifice if the law was able to save. But the law is only able to condemn. And that is the purpose there, is to show God's glory and His majesty and His law is what uh, points out to us our uh, great need of a Savior. Okay, so Paul here again, it's such a beautiful passage for us to read and to, to understand the importance of knowing how we are saved. We are not saved through any means of ourselves, but we are saved completely and entirely through faith alone. That's how we are justified. There is no other way. And that is Paul, uh, and he's going to continue bringing this back up. And Paul continues, and he's a master teacher here. He really uh, hones in, and he, he kind of looks at the classroom, and he knows it, within this letter, he knows who he's talking to, and he points out uh, different aspects and here he's, he knows that he's going to have Jewish audiences that are going to rely on their circumcision. And he knows that there's, uh, the heart of man is going to rely on things that he can do to obtain salvation. And then they, they're going to point to the law and he, he knows who he's talking to. So he, he points out so that nothing is left out in the fact that he didn't skip over an area, uh, and they might be able to say, well, Paul said this, but you know, he never really mentioned circumcision. And so probably being circumcised is a, a necessary thing. So here Paul makes sure, and, and as we can look at it today, as I pointed out, this is a ritualistic idea. So it can be tied to anything, rituals, that we do within in, uh, our 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 day-to-day life that we believe would uh, get us favor within God. So that's what this section is about. Now, do we have any comments or questions? Because I, I want to get down to the end here so we can have some discussions. But on this section, do we have any comments or questions? The 9 through 12. Rituals and circumcision, and baptism. We are not saved by keeping of rituals. We are not, and just the two examples here would be circumcision and baptism. But there is, there's a whole list of rituals that we could mention here. Um, And I didn't want to print off two pages, so I just named two. 
okay? So you can write in there what you want. Any other thoughts or something that you uh, maybe wasn't explained that you're curious about in this section before we get into the latter part of the class? Okay. All right, so we are midway through chapter four. We have covered a tremendous amount of topics. And I want to be able, and we're probably going to do them, we're probably going to do this every so often and throw in these questions because I want you guys to be able to use the book of Romans as a tool in sharing the gospel and refuting the world's ideology. Okay? And so that's where we are here. How do we respond to what the world believes in these areas? And so what I want to do is I want to ask, the, I'm going to ask, you can read the question, but I want to ask, where in the first four chapters are you going to go? But I don't want you just to say, well, I'm going to point them here. I want you to elaborate a little bit and say, I would go here, and this is maybe how I would uh, refute their idea. Okay? So everybody understand how, how this is going to work? Okay, I'm going to ask you the question that you can read there, and then I want you to think about where would I go within the first three chapters, and within you know maybe a minute or so, explain how I would uh, refute this person's ideology. Okay, I believe most people are good. Have you ever heard that statement? Okay. It's on the news all the time. You hear people say it all the time. I believe that most people are good. Okay? You watch the news anytime recently, you might not say that as much, but that is nevertheless a statement made very often. So if that statement is made to you and you have the ability to have a conversation back with that person, how in these first four chapters, are you going to uh, refute that idea that most people are good? Okay, so Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you were to use that, how would you explain what that means in light of most people are good? How would you explain that verse? Because the verse is uh, self-explanatory for a believing mind to understand, but how would you correlate those two together? The, the, most people are good and all have sinned. They're not saying that no one, in, in this statement, they're not saying that I don't believe no one sinned. They're saying that I believe most people are good. And so, I, and I have in here that verse, but I'm curious on how, how would you use the verse to refute the most people are good? Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, at the end of the verse, it says, for all have sinned, so that puts us all in there, and they would, they would agree 
to that most people will agree to all sin, right? Have you ever met somebody that doesn't agree to that they have some sin, right? Everyone, for the most part, unless they're just trying to be uh, tough to deal with, are going to agree that they have sinned. Where you can show them here is, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. When you fall short of God's glory, that means you are not good. There's no good in you. How would, and where would you go to tie on to that verse to again show that um, most people are not good? Where would you go in, in correlation with that verse? Verse 10. verse 10 of chapter 3. Very good. Okay? There, are, there is none righteous, not even one. And really, verse 12 really says, For all turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none that does good. Okay. So we can use the book of Romans here to explain, hey, you're all sin- we're all sinners. And in verses 10 through 12, it really clarifies that we are not good. There is no good. And that we are all guilty under sin. And without a Savior, we would be condemned. Okay? So, uh, maybe an easier one to refute. But, nevertheless, it's in here. And it's something that's very, very commonly said. Alright? Even among Christians. Have you guys heard Christians say it, right? People that believe the Word of God. You've heard, well, most people are good. Okay, we're not good. Most of us are not good. If we were left to our own, uh, we would really make a mess of things. The only reason we don't is because of the power of God. Okay? What about the people in the jungle that have never heard the gospel? Okay, so this is a statement that we make. Maybe you're out sharing the gospel and they say, well, I don't believe in your God because what about the people in the jungle that have never been able to hear the Word of God uh, and, and, and hear the gospel? What about them? How would you uh, refute that statement? Where would you go in the first four chapters? First chapter? You have your Bible. You can use it. You don't, I don't want you to just... 120. Go ahead and read it, Roy. What does it say? Back up to verse 19. Yeah, back up to 19. Pretty, pretty easy way to uh, explain that, right? So, how many of you have heard that statement? You've been out sharing the gospel, or you, you've been in a circumstance of somehow, and somebody brings up, well, I don't know about that. The people in the jungle, they don't have the same opportunities we do here in the United States. Well, Paul, Paul does a favor to us and, and gives us Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. 
me. And we can go there and say, hey, no, Scripture does say that no man is without excuse. No one has an excuse. God has revealed himself through the creation and that no one is without excuse. And so, very, very uh, important section and something that we're going to hear. And you're going to hear it often uh, about um, that we, uh, what about these type people? And there is where we would go to say, hey, this is what the Word of God says. This is what we stand on as believers is what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says these people are without excuse. Whether they hear the gospel from our tongue or not, they are without excuse. Okay? Yes, very good. Okay. Chapter 2, so it gives us two different areas. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Chapter 2, four, no, 13 and 14. Okay, the law is written on their hearts. Okay, they're without excuse. Very good. I believe that, and I know that we don't hear this at all today, but I believe that God is okay with homosexuality. Can we refute that in the first four chapters? And where do we go? Someone maybe that hasn't answered. First four chapters, how do we say, well, actually God does condemn homosexuality. How do we do that? Or where would we go? Romans 1, 24 through 27, okay? Specifically 26 and 27, all right? It talks about women doing things that is unnatural, taking up the unnatural functions, okay? And it also talks about men uh, and doing things that are not right, and God gives them over to their own passions and their own lusts. This whole section, again, we got to tie Scripture in, so if you just read that alone, maybe they'll be able to have an argument, but when they understand in context that everything Paul is dealing with here is in light of sin, it's not, there's no condoning going on. All right, now, all of these, <coughs> all of these passages can be refuted throughout the Bible, Okay. But since we're not studying the entire Bible in this class, we're studying Romans, we're refuting these just in the book of Romans. So I don't want you to think, if you get into this conversation, you can refute homosexuality, you can refute, um, uh, most people believe they're good. All of these can be refuted throughout the gospel uh, and the, the epistle. Okay? But it, specifically here in Romans, uh, Paul helps us condense it all into one book that you can say, nope. This is what the Bible says, okay? So how, how in love would we refute that um, to someone? Maybe they believe, you know, maybe they are homosexual and, and they, they want to believe that God loves them. And, and, you know, this person isn't maybe belligerent. They're not ugly. They're not screaming in your face. They just say, this is the way that God made me and I believe he's okay with it. Um, and so... How would, you, how would you use these verses to lovingly show that person that it is sin uh, 
and it's, it is not okay. It's a little tougher question, but I think it's important. I don't, we don't want to ever just spout off a scripture and leave them to deal with what the consequences of it are. It says homosexuals are sinful. There you go. Deal with it. Well, that's not, that's not Paul's heart here. That's not, the, that's not God's heart in sharing. Now, some people, that's the statement they might need to hear because they're just belligerent and they just need to be shocked and say, no, the Bible says it's sin and it's uh, a wickedness. Okay? But someone that maybe is, you know, believe the, the narrative and the lie of, of the world and that homosexual is, uh, are, uh, it's an okay thing and that it's accepted by God. God must accept it because he created me in this way. How would you, if, if maybe let's, let's make this little, the statement a little easier. God created me homosexual. How would you refute that in these verses? God created me homosexual. How would you refute that? Read through verses 26 and 27, and there's some key words in there that would... Um, yeah. The unnatural affection. Okay. No, even a homosexual would not disagree with a natural affection as a man for a woman and a woman for a man. All right, it'd have to be unnatural because can two women bear children? No. Can two men bear children? No. The purpose of a man and a woman is one of the purposes is to procreate. All right, that's one of the functions of God's creation is to procreate. And so that would be an unnatural thing. All right. And they burn in the lusts of their hearts doing things that are not, not natural. Okay. And so, and, and this conversation with someone like that would probably take a very uh, long time over several times being able to with them if they were a friend or maybe a co-worker or something like that. If this is a passing moment, you know, they're, they're out with their rainbow flags and you're having a conversation with them on the side of the street and, it, and it's, it's, it's cordial, it's polite, uh, you might have to make some statements to get them to think and then you'll move on, all right? And, and this is a place where you could go to do that. Um, but you would never want to get into a fight or an argument. Let the Word of God speak for itself, but be ready to uh, not just say the words, but to be able to lovingly help them understand what it means. And that's what I'm trying to do today. I don't want you to just say, well, go to Romans 1, 26 and 27, and it explains it. There you go. Read that. Be able to lovingly be able to say, well, Scripture talks about that this is an unnatural, exchanging the, the, the natural functions for an unnatural function. And this is how this worked out. And in the, the section here, it's talking about sin and how people are apart from God. Okay, So that is an area where we could uh, use Romans uh, 1 through 4 to, to that. I believe religion will get me to heaven. Then you can tie any religion you want into that. Um, but that's a statement that's made quite often. 
I believe that my beliefs, my religion, X, Y, Z, is going, because of that, I'm going to get to heaven. How would you refute that in the first four chapters? Chapter 2, I have chapter 2, 17 through 29. And Paul changes his gears here and begins to speak primarily to the Jews in, in chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. And, and what we can understand through what Paul is getting out here is that the religious people, the Jews, the people that hold their, their religious beliefs in high esteem, uh, Paul condemns and says that your religion, your Jewish faith, in which we can tie in the same thing as any religion, is not going to obtain you salvation. Okay, So that's where I have uh, someone, if you have some other thoughts on that, I mean, we can read through, but he goes into very much details, and it's talking about um, the Jews here, but you can correlate that um, to the religious group people of the day. You had something, Joseph? Uh, yeah, I was in verse 5, verse 2, chapter 4. Mm hmm. Saying, hey, um, Abraham took the five words, and then he went to faith. Right. Yeah, so religious work, religious things is a sign of works, all right? And that one's going to kind of tie in again with the, the last question there, but I believe the things I do in my religion, um, there's only one true, and I, and I, I don't even want to call it religion, um, but there's only one true belief that um, gets you to heaven. All others are works related in some facet. Okay? If you look at all world religions, they have something that man has to do. All right? You look at our culture here in Utah. All right? There's all kinds of things and regulations and whatever and you know, you do what you can do in, uh, in your religion, and God will take the rest and take you the rest of the way, okay? You have the Catholic Church, and you have the indulgence, and you have all of the things wrapped up in that religion. Uh, and the same idea, you do what you can do in your religion, and God will take you the rest of the way, okay? And then if we don't see that you're really trying to do it in your religion, uh, then we're going to chastise you and say, maybe God's not going to uh, take you the rest of the way because you're really not trying. And so, uh, you, have you ever wondered why uh, these religions that are works-based are so large? And maybe the ones that are, like we teach, it's a free gift, are not as big? Pride's one issue. The f go ahead. 
Okay. They do Joe? It's too easy. That that's that's good. It's hard for man to believe that this free gift is that easy. The reason I believe they're so big is a control. I tell you, Jessica, there's no way you're going to obtain heaven unless you do these things. And if you leave this church, you're going to lose the ability to go there. Or God's going to put you on the dean's or the 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 duns, the, the the bad list or whatever. Not the dean's list, but the bad list. Okay. And if you if you do these sets of rules, you'll be on the dean's list. All right. Um, but that it's a controlling atmosphere. Uh, and fear, yeah, if I don't do these specific things to stay in graces with God, do you realize that you can do nothing to stay in graces with God? You can't. There's nothing you can do. We are what Romans 3, 10 through 18 says we are. Wicked. That's what it says. Doesn't leave believers out of that. Believers are wicked. We're sinful by nature. And um, without the work of Christ in our life, His work, not ours, His work, um, we, are, we are without excuse. And so that's the reason why uh, those churches, in my opinion, are so big is they're controlled by fear that if I don't come on Sunday, and if I don't get my 10%, and if I don't do this, and if I don't do that, then God's not going to look favorably on me. And when I get to judgment day, he's going to basically weigh my good deeds and my dad deeds and say, well, you know what, Joseph, I'm sorry, but wow, my, my saving grace can't cover all of it. I'm actually going to have to send you to purgatory for you know another... 15, 20 years, and then that will pay for the portion I can't pay for, and then you'll be good. Well, that is blasphemous, blasphemous in, the, in the sight of God, okay? Blasphemy. We, we would never want to make that statement. Now, not to say that us as believers do live in a way that would glorify God. The difference between how believers live and how the non-believing people live is one is doing good works to obtain salvation. The other is doing good works because they are saved. A world of difference between those two statements. One believes that their good works will get them to heaven. The other one is doing good works because of what's been done in their heart and because they love God. Huge difference there. They understand that I want to love and show my grace, show my love for my Savior. So therefore, I do good things. I do do what is right. I do praise Him. I do go to church. I do give. I do all of these things. But it's not because if I don't, I'm not going to get to heaven. It's because... I want to praise my King. I want to glorify Him. All right, and then the last one. I'm going to heaven because my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. We just kind of alluded to that, but where would you go to prove, again, this to be a, fall, uh, a fallacy or a wrong ideology? 
I'm going to heaven because my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. How many good deeds does a non-believer do? Okay, so if you have a scale, okay, the, the, the blind lady scale, right, that we have, when we put all of our good deeds that the Bible says we can do on one side and all of the bad deeds that we do on the other side, how, many, how, how heavy is this side going to be? There ain't going to be nothing there because we can't do good deeds as an unbeliever. So the scale is going to go, whoosh, all right? It, it, there's, no, there's no way that that ideology can pass through the book of Romans, these first four chapters, uh, without being touched on several times, right? And again, we can point back to Romans 3.27 and Romans 3.10-18. through 18. Clearly talk about our good works... We can't do them because then we would boast. And Scripture says clearly you cannot boast in your salvation because it has nothing to do with you. And if it has nothing to do with you, that means it has nothing to do with your works. And so your good deeds or bad deeds have nothing to do with getting you into heaven. And that's not clear enough for them. Then you can take them and say, well, if you still believe your good deeds are going to get you to heaven, then what does these several verses here talk about? You're a wicked sinner, and you do nothing but bad. Okay? There is none righteous, and in case you were confused, it says not even one. Okay? So if it says not even one, that means you, the individual that you're talking to, that believes that their good deeds are going to outweigh their bad. Um, okay? But I, I hope that was helpful, and again, we're going to try to do that um, through... We'll bring out the thoughts between the middle of Romans 4, maybe, and we'll get to, to chapter 6 or 7, somewhere in there. And then I'm gonna, I'll bring up these questions again. And I probably might throw in some old ones because I don't want us to get so far into Romans that we forget what the beginning of Romans talks about. We want to be able through this class, this is not just an education class, this is a class designed for us to know how to use the book of Romans in our own life and how to use it to be a light to the world that we live in. Okay? Any thoughts or ideas before we close? I hope that was helpful. Keep those... Keep those questions, keep the answers that you wrote on there. Hopefully you wrote some answers there. And the next time someone brings up one of these questions, you can say, Aha! That's why Mark did that. This is how I refute that comment. And at that point... And at that point, I mean, you can get into that conversation with them, right? And in Scripture, um, it's clear even in with Romans that it is revealed to them, but they suppress it, right? They suppress the truth and wickedness. And so that is what's going on with that comment. They're suppressing the truth and exchanging what the truth is for what? A lie. 
And so scripture and, and Romans speaks to that. And so, but with a person that is belligerent in that way, unless you're inclined to like to argue in, in a respectful way and really are versed in the Word of God, I would just, you know, maybe say those scriptures and, and move on. So my, my thought process in sharing the, the gospel and, and, and talking with the unbelieving world is we're looking for those that God is working on their hearts. And so you share with everyone, um, but you don't spend time with everyone, okay? And what I mean by that is you're, if the person is arguing and belligerent, you shared with them to get enough information out of them that they're arguing and belligerent, and you move on. Okay, you share the word of God, you make your point, but you don't sit there and because eventually, because we're humans, we're going to make a fool out of ourselves, and we're going to become prideful in that I'm going to him. I, I've got, I got this verse, and I've topped you, and then he tops you, and then you top him, and it goes, it, it's, it turns into a mess. What you're looking for is you share the gospel with everyone, and you're looking for that person that, hmm, that's interesting. Or engage in polite conversation, and you can begin to unfold the truth of God's word. And sometimes uh, God brings out people that are very good um, uh, at the, the, the debating and so on. And, and, and that, you know, Jeremy and Tyler are, are very, you know, they're very good at that type of uh, exchanging. Um, uh, that's, that's not my forte or cup of tea, and that's okay. Uh, everyone, God gives different gifts. There's pastors out there that's down on the corner, and they'll argue every fact that there is, and they're good at it, okay? Todd Friel, he goes out to college campuses, and doesn't matter what question he, they give, he'll get there, and he'll He'll give a good answer, and he, he stays really calm and, and does a good job, okay? Also, when they're just not going anywhere, he's done. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. Like, okay, he, he moves on. on too. Okay. And he sees that their heart And then you've got the... Then you got the idiots that go down to the temple square and scream and yell at the LDS people and make fools out of themselves. And, and it doesn't accomplish anything. So we don't want to ever be those, Okay. Don't think, well, I can't stand up there and do that, so I must not be right. No, God makes each individual different and gives us. Where you're not right is when you never share the gospel. Okay? So we should always be seeking a way that God enables each person to do it differently. But if we're never seeking to share the gospel, uh, then that would be a sinful deal. Okay? All right, very good.